0: Brick Moon Fiction Presents Undone by Jason D. April Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle Never trust the giant folk. It was drilled into Serena since she was just a wee one, a moth, as her mother had always affectionately called her. They all knew it. It was a warning passed down from one generation to the next since time began. Nana knew it, but helped the human anyway. She knew what they were and still somehow felt compassion, even after the filthy monsters had fouled their beautiful glade into a wretched swamp. That's where Nana had found him. Light knows what had happened to him. Barely breathing, leg broken, and bone burst through skin festering with infection against the old dead oak. He was young, but not a child. It was so hard to tell with man, they were either small children, grown straight, or old with wrinkled bent. He was grown, but not bent. Now so many of them had been bent, even the little ones. The strange pox had returned, and the dead were legion. Not even Nana's song could cure them, and Serena's mother had nearly forced her to stay in the warren they'd hidden away in. Yet the cries of agony so close had been unignorable to the aging Fay. She sang a song of glamour to look like one of their own elderly, just a village nursemaid. Setting the bone, knitting back the skin took little effort or magic. The man was so fevered he was barely even aware Nana was there. The infection took more, though, a different song, a different magic. Infections were like demons. Ejecting them from one's house took its toll, as her glamour faded out and she sung a harsh, erratic chant of healing. She was still weak when he finally awoke he wore the markings of a priest of their bizarre wicked religion serena's kind had long ago learned to especially distrust the most fervent believers those who used their faith as an excuse to hate to kill to violate nana's glamours were weak but she stayed to make sure his fever was well gone serena had watched hidden as they made common-tongued slow conversation he was grateful praising his God more than Nana, so typical. Then her glamour blinked just for a second, and his expression changed from weary, pious thanks to something sinister. He reached out to her with one arm, while the other hand disappeared under his filthy robe. There was a sudden movement, obscured by Nana's back, then a yell as the man shoved his savior down to the ground and stabbed her repeatedly. He kept screaming, calling her a devil, a whore of Satan, other bizarre, insane rants. Serena could only watch. Her body was frozen, terrified, confused. She couldn't process any of it. Sometime later, she awoke with a cry. She knew she must have blacked out, but the smell of smoke and blood kept her from immediately rising. Everything was on fire. In the distance, Smoke was pouring from their warren, and deafening explosions were going off in all directions. She dug down into the wet mud, shaking, whispering a spell, barely making the words, and her normally vibrant glowing blue body faded to the color of mud. Vaguely she could hear that voice again. He was chanting something as he stepped right over where she hid. One hand was on a necklace of beads, THE OTHER HELD A METAL VESSEL THAT LET OUT DRIPS OF WATER AS HE SHOOK IT. DROPS HIT HER IN THE FACE, AND SHE JUST MANAGED TO STIFLE A SCREAM, EXPECTING THE LIQUID TO BURN OR SOMETHING EQUALLY HORRIBLE. IT WAS JUST WATER, THOUGH, WHICH CONFUSED SERENA EVEN MORE. HIS VOICE MOVED AWAY, AS OTHER HUMAN VOICES SHE'D BARELY REGISTERED ALSO FADED. Clumsy, CLODDING FOOTSTEPS DEPARTED, AND EVENTUALLY IT WAS QUIET AGAIN. When she'd found the strength to move, to get back to her mama, hoping what she'd seen was a nightmare, only savage horrors waited for her. Everyone, her whole family, was dead. She wept for days. Eventually her skin and the delicate scales of her wings and along her back turned from their beautiful translucent blues and delicate whites to deep reds, purples, and blacks. "'Serena set out with anger in her song "'and murder in her heart. "'It was several hundred years later and raining. "'It was always goddamn raining in the Pacific Northwest, "'but that didn't matter. "'From the moment she got off the boat in Newfoundland, "'down to New England, and eventually to the west coast "'from middle of Oregon up through half of Canada again, "'the rain followed Serena. "'During the darkest time, Angry red skies vomited out torrents of hard rain, violent winds, and lightning. Blood red and blinding white that made the very ground collapse in its wake. It was the price she paid for forbidden magic. Blood magic fueled by an insatiable need for vengeance and, in her own twisted ironic way, absolution. The first man she'd killed had been on the boat to the new land, Fay folk of the deep greens didn't like the sea. It wasn't for them. Crisp, clean rivers and creeks, lakes surrounded by the land. Such were beloved among her kind. But the sea held kin who didn't like those of the earth. Kin who knew when someone like Serena was passing over their oceans. It took a different sort of glamour to hide her nature from briny ones. Casting two such magics at once, one for the sea and the other for the humans on the boat, was hard from the start and consistently more painful the farther from land she traveled. When the red storm arrived, she knew her song had failed. Terrified, she hid shivering and cold down among the cargo and cattle, awaiting a watery grave. Her skin grew flaked and scaly, the color of dull rust. Her wings tattered and torn, twitched uselessly. The songs had left her to die. Then he came. She didn't remember much. There were no lights, except his swinging lantern. He said something when he found her. He didn't yell. He reached toward her in what, in retrospect, was concern, not malice. It didn't matter. Her fear turned into hunger. She wasn't ready to die. Not yet not this way. In blurred fragments, Serena could see herself almost as if in a painting, lunging at him, claws long and cruel, digging into his flesh as her sharpened canines dug into his throat. She knew she had screamed. He had managed one cry, but in the storm, no one heard. His blood flowed down onto the wood, then time seemed to stop as the droplets defied all natural laws. Rising around her, as she rose too, the blood formed a sphere around her, a shield. Her energy returned, her eyes glowed vibrant crimson, and the entire world became silent. She could hear nothing but the beat of her heart and the sound of her breath slowing to a steady, meditative rhythm. Moments later, her eyes drowsed close and she fell to sleep. When she woke on the floor of the hold, the man's body was gone, as were any signs of the attack. Her skin was a smooth, lush, deep burgundy. She could feel her wings spread out and whole. With barely a note, her skin faded to pink, her wings folded in and away out of sight, and she looked as the humans did. The blood lasted her past the voyage and into the next year, she knew it meant she could never return home, that stepping on that hallowed earth would taint it. She was a shun now, one who forsook the beloved way of song and joy in exchange for power and violence. In the end, Serena's only real regret was that she didn't care more about what she'd become. She'd lost count of her victims over the decades. The man who had murdered her clan had left for America just a month later. Divinations barely worked on him, giving only fleeting images and vague directions, so she'd been forced to learn how to talk and act around the humans. Never closer than two steps behind, the chase took her from coast to coast, the upper peak of Canada to the southern borders. He never stayed anywhere long, purporting at first to be a missionary dedicated to bringing the light of his lord to the savage, untamed land." Yet a pattern emerged too similar to her own. Wherever the man went, he left under a cloud of suspicion. Those who seemed to get closest to him in his travels inevitably just disappeared. No bodies, no signs. As time passed, his guise as a missionary faded away to keep up with the times. Somehow the man had managed to acquire Fay magic from Nana. It was the only explanation for his life lasting so long. Serena fathomed somehow during her murder their blood had mingled. His ill-gained powers also seemed to come with a ravenous hunger for blood that fueled those powers. He was a traveling preacher in the southern states for decades, profiting off the chaos of the Civil War. Through it all, the native peoples who encountered him saw through his thin facade of a holy man. Serena had never met anyone like America's ill-fated indigenous population. They were the closest mankind came to being like the kin, and they accepted her as different but worthy. She never preyed on them, and even in the darkest times, they would aid her however they could. Within their fold, Serena felt a brief glimmer of hope for redemption. She'd stopped her pursuit to be still, to remember who she had been, and what she could maybe be again. None of it mattered. The invaders burned the people of the land away just as they had her own family. The blood pulsing through her, creating nightmares of destruction in her wake, didn't matter. There were always more, with ever more deadly weapons and single-minded hatred. Her trail across the country was an overwhelming and profoundly tragic series of failures. At the worst of it, she had killed more men than even she could fathom, trying to save her new tribe. For all her efforts, the only meaningful result had been Serena's inexorable slip into becoming ever more monstrous. Leaving behind her only rumors and stories told by drunks and parents to children about the demon who would drink you whole in the dead of night. She was a cautionary tale, nightmare fuel for the seemingly gullible. Her angst waylaid somewhat in Texas, following a trail of rumors, In the bustling city of Laredo, a cult was brewing. Newspaper stories gave indirect hints. A charismatic new preacher, settling in the outskirts of the town, made for an overexcited profile in a regional Southern Baptist newsletter. Soon after, stories of disappearances cropped up. Never more than a paragraph or two, never detailed beyond the location. It was enough for Serena to find herself on the country's border just before the turn of another century. She felt prepared now. In her despair, she'd found a direction, a plan, a spell. A magic hidden away from any light or good for time immemorial. A magic that would bend reality to the caster's will at a dire cost. Beyond blood magic, she'd rip his soul out to feed the spell and then tear him from the fold of reality so that he never existed at all. Or she'd die trying. The church he occupied had been hastily built with a series of outbuildings placed seemingly at random around it, the largest of which was clearly an old farmhouse. A single light flickered in a downstairs window. Tingles of static crept over Serena's skin as she got closer. A heady odor of herbs and florals wafted through the air, interrupted by brief winds carrying a revolting smell, combining something burnt and sulfuric. She gripped the silver blade tightly and peered through the window. It was a kitchen, lantern burning, but no one in sight. She started to turn away when something pierced the skin of her back and started burning its way to her spine. Her dagger dropped to the ground. She could barely let out a cry from the pain when a hand wrapped around her throat. I always thought you ungodly abominations were supposed to be we, he said in her ear. His accent was still thick from his British home. But again, you come to me wearing a skin like a man. He shoved the burning blade deeper, and she screamed and collapsed forward. Suddenly, being shoved around, he stood over her, one hand clutching a mass of her hair, the other holding an iron dagger still hissing from her blood. I heard you was looking for me, girl. Well, you found me. He leaned in, spit frothing at his mouth. His eyes glowed in swirling reds and black. Your kin changed me when I gutted her, but in its blood I was given the blessing to keep on doing the Lord's work for all time. His hand around her throat, he lifted her up against the side of the house. Nothing to say then. Serena opened her mouth, her eyes locked on his. The pain subsided enough for her to think more coherently. Thinking she was going to speak, He loosened his throat grip on her, but instead she let out one pure piercing note. Not a word, just a high, desperate sound. The silver of her own blade sang back with a low hum, shaking before shooting up to her outstretched hand. Without hesitating, she shoved the blade into the side of his chest, causing him to drop her and scream. She shoved against him, pulling her blade out and stabbing him again as they fell to the ground. Ripping off some of the fabric of his thick, coarse woolen shirt as she pulled her knife out again, she knew she couldn't beat him. Not like this, not with her own kin's blood running through his veins. She knew from ancient stories of such abominations the silver magic barely affected him, and any physical wounds wouldn't last. She knew what he was now, and wasn't prepared. Another clumsy stab while he was still stunned before she frantically shoved off of him Serena grabbed his iron blade, ignoring the pain long enough to wrap it in the cloth as she fled. She ran as fast as she could, as far as she could, and whether it was her imagination or not, she could hear him cackling, mocking her the whole time. Months of recovery in hidden places, mostly south of the border, increased Serena's physical strength, but the scar on her back never healed completely, and his voice, his eyes, echoed in her nightmares. Eventually, she'd heard that he disappeared too that night, and no one had any clue to where. More time passed, and those legends faded away to laughable local superstitions. The weight of the centuries, the violence, the failures became too much. The world evolved to something too alien, too bereft of any magic or any kin. Her need for vengeance had long since proved unquenchable. When there hadn't been any sightings for nearly a hundred years, Serena sunk away. She felt sure she missed her chance to take him. No more death. No more blood. She couldn't save herself, but she could just stop. Deep in the redwoods of the Pacific Northwest, she let herself take root. Skin darkened to thick bark, arms turned to branches, legs to roots. That would have been the end of it. But for one chance sound heard in passing through the trees. A voice. His voice. It woke her instantly and she strained to find its source. Humans nearby talking. Birds singing to their mates above. Somewhere loud, cantankerous vehicles. The laughter got closer. A couple, one showing the other something in their hand, It was a glowing piece of glass displaying a moving image. Her memory was confused, out of time and place. There was an invention just before she'd gone to root, but she couldn't recall just what. The two laughed again. Turn it up, I can't hear what he's actually saying, the second said. And there came the voice. That voice, still full of hate, still spouting nonsense about a god that never existed. Why would they let him have an audience here? The hiker continued. I mean, I get his popularity in the Bible Belt, but Seattle? He's horrible. He has like three million subscribers, the other responded. So my guess is money. Well, we're not giving him any. Of all the things I want to do this weekend, he's not on the list. One laughed, then the other, as they faded away through the woods. By the time the moon sat high in the sky... Serena was shaking off the remnants of her bark skin and heading toward the sounds of traffic. Naked, angry, and desperate for one last chance, Serena unfurled wings of brilliant crimson, deep lush greens, and vibrant electric yellow. With a great pulse of her wings, she shot straight up and disappeared into the starlit night. Three days... That was all the time she had to prepare for the end. In the time she'd been dormant, the humans had been busy obsessing over their endless quest for technological progress. But still, they seemed different now. More open, somehow. Well, in the city, anyway. It didn't matter. They didn't matter, even as prey. The only blood she craved required preparation. It wouldn't be like the last time. Over the last century before her hibernation, she'd relentlessly tracked down the knowledge she needed. The ritual would complete the circle if she succeeded. It was her one, only chance at redemption, but it had to be perfect. It was a mix of song and blood, a sacrifice on every level, but it would work. It had to work. The rocky beach she'd buried the chest under was still isolated, which was some small blessing. It was a small, narrow, leather-reinforced wooden box. Gingerly, she opened it, afraid it might be empty. The blade within was tarnished, but beautiful. A melding of iron and silver, the toxic and the divine. She played her finger down the blade, to the end of the hilt. Where she touched iron, her skin darkened as if it were burnt, but she barely noticed the pain. There were blood-infused wax candles in the box as well. With a final look, she closed the lid, picked the chest up, and headed back to the city. Her bearings grounded again. She knew the day, the time, the place. The amphitheater was huge, but it wasn't hard to get details from a lonely night watchman about where the man would be and how the bizarre show of his would work. The price for seeing his waiting room was small enough, and she'd been intentional "'careful in her choice of human "'and in not hurting anyone. "'Not yet. "'In the barest hours of morning, "'she prepped the ground of what would be the man's. "'What had the guard called it? "'Dressing room. "'Etching the circle, placing the symbols, "'singing a spell that seemed more like a prayer in desperation, "'hiding it all under the cheap area rug in front of the desk, "'rolling the chair over it for an extra barrier.' She hid the candles and let all her pretensions and body magic flow away. Her body shrank down to, as her nana would have said, knee-high to a rose petal, and lay down to take a final rest in the ventilation shaft overlooking the rug, until the time came. No spells, no glamours, no chance for the man to sniff her out by her magic. She dreamed in violent fits and starts. Vivid nightmares of her mother and grandmother pleading with her, crying out in horror over what she'd done, over what she was about to do. She woke with a gasp, Nana's screams for her to stop still echoing in her head. Curling up with her head between her knees, hugging herself, she whispered apologies to her Nana and mother. The sound of voices abruptly snapped Serena's concentration to the vent grill. "'muffled conversation getting louder "'before the sound of the dressing-room door opening. "'Right through here, sir. "'Everything has been set up as you requested, "'but if you need anything, just let one of us know. "'The stage setup is almost finished, "'and someone will be back to guide you there "'in just under two hours.' "'Serena watched the man nod at the young assistant "'without saying a word. "'An awkward moment later, the assistant left with a mumble. "'She held her breath, anxiety rising.' "'just waiting to see what he did next. "'Did he know she was there? "'Would he sit in the chair? "'She needed him in that circle, damn it. "'He turned, looking around the room "'with a vaguely ambivalent expression. "'His skin was ashen, "'holding tight around his skull and finger bones. "'Dressed in a black suit, "'the exposed skin distinctly stood out. "'She nearly jumped back "'when he lifted his head up toward the ceiling.' mouth opening wide, and began coughing so violently it doubled him over to the floor. Halfway on the rug, his feet pushed on the rug as he kept hacking, and he inadvertently kicked the chair away. Serena cringed as a red waxy curve of the circle became visible. He gagged and gruesomely unleashed a spew of bloody bile. Serena understood. She'd felt that torment before. He needed to feed. The coughing subsided as he struggled to calm his breathing. Sitting up on his knees, he reached into his jacket and pulled out his phone. A few taps on the screen, and he put it to his ear. Send her up now, he said harshly. I know what I said, but things have accelerated. I can't do it in this condition. And if I can't go out there and tame the unwashed cattle, neither one of us gets a damn thing. Another second, another tap and he threw the phone to the floor and rolled over to sit on the rug, still exhausted and breathing heavily and slowly. Serena turned away, cursing to herself, cursing her fear, cursing more complications. She couldn't wait. She was no less a monster and less concerned with saving the life of a human than with him regaining his strength. So she acted. Growing larger as she fell from the grate, she landed on his chest with a wild scream. Holding him down, she cried out the words to lock the circle. A fiery sphere of energy spread up around them from the circle, burning through the rug and causing the chair to fly across the room. Shrieking a high-pitched tone as her eyes locked on his caused the candles to fly from their hiding places, lighting and revolving around the circle like a crown." She reached out with one arm, and the knife of iron and silver shot into her open hand. She gripped it tightly, her flesh sizzling, but barely noticed the pain. His eyes were wide, nearly entirely black, and he hissed and coughed, his chest heaving beneath her weight. Serena scraped the sharp tip of the knife up from his navel to neck. It burnt through the fabric and caused the blood to boil as his skin parted. Serena began to sing. His blood turned to crimson vapor, and he began to struggle and scream. Then she plunged the knife straight down into his chest, piercing his heart. A blackened, foul thing, an overwhelming stench of rot flowed from the organ when she pulled the knife out. Serena had known his putrid fluids and condemned soul wouldn't be enough for the spell. She could feel the sphere of magic closing in around them. Her one hope to undo all the wrongs they had both committed was that, together they would be enough of a sacrifice. Singing loudly, passionately, beautifully, Serena winced as she slid the knife into her chest to the hilt. Gasping as it burned her away from within, she looked down at him, their eyes locked while their bodies turned from flesh to fire to ash. Serena wasn't seeing him through the pain. Her life played back for her, from the knife to the dream, the forest, and on, all the way back to her beloved homeland again. She watched her life play out in reverse, each image fading away to nothingness. It slowed where the both of them had first intertwined, but now, all she saw was Nana, out in a field of tall grass, looking up at the sky, Serena's mother by her side. Time kept going back, all the way to her birth, and then she, like him, was gone, erased from existence. No more pain, no more death, all of it gone, no victims anymore, no dead sailor or the countless others. Some might feel a gap where their fates had crossed hers, a vague sense of unease, but nothing more. Her last thought as she watched her mother and Nana smiling above her was relief. Nana looked up, Worried, her hand idly rubbing her chest over her heart. Her daughter came up to her, putting a hand gently on her shoulder. The sky was a deep, angry red. Nana? Nana shook her head. Something is wrong. She spoke quietly, tears welling up. Missing. Something terrible has happened, and I don't know what. She looked at her daughter seeing her tears, and knew she felt it, too. The younger Fay nodded, wiping her eyes. I feel it, like a part of me is missing, like something's been... She hesitated, searching for the words. Undone, Nana said, turning to look at the fading sky as the red subsided to the dark blues of a star-filled night. With a sigh they slowly turned and walked away, silently hoping the confused unease in their hearts would subside. But knowing, deep down, it wouldn't. Jason D. April has been writing professionally for over 20 years, mostly in nonfiction. You can find his bylines appearing on such sites as Playboy, Paste Magazine, Motherboard, Upload VR, and others. Occasionally, he even lets bits of fiction escape out into the wild, Jason does not tweet. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.